Hi, I'm Laura Allen. And I'm Liv Austin. And between us, we are a songwriter, actor, singer, producer, and the hosts of My Amazing Mess, a podcast where we talk to creatives who are right in the middle of developing their own unique careers. They are totally honest with us about what it takes to pursue their dream job, the exciting highs, the disheartening lows, and the amazing mess that is everything in between. Hi everyone, it's Liv here. Very happy to have a theatre director on today's episode of My Amazing Mess. We are interviewing Jane Moriarty, who directed Laura's first play after Laura left drama school, and they have stayed in touch ever since, which I think is a wonderful example of how your network are actually the people that you work with and connect with and stay in touch with. Jane has gone on to work at the Royal Shakespeare Company, at the National, at the Globe and loads of other things since. And she has so much great insight into what it means to be a director, how you become a director, what the challenges are, what it's like to work with actors, and mainly how the love for what you do is what's keeping you going through those really long days where there are no tea breaks, it's kind of sort of the last interview uh, that we're doing of this first series of My Amazing Mess. I will explain more at the end of this episode what I mean by that. I hope you enjoy this episode and if you know someone who might enjoy it too who doesn't know about My Amazing Mess yet please send them the link to this episode because we would love to spread the word and spread the love. Stay with us for Jane Moriarty. We are here with Jane Moriarty, theatre director and a friend of Laura's. So I'm very happy, Laura, that you suggested that we talk to Jane. Welcome, Jane. Hi, thanks Hi. for having me. It was an absolute no-brainer when we were discussing who we wanted for series one. And I was like, Jane Moriarty. I've always said that I feel like my acting career took off because Jane gave me a job in, her, in the first play that I was ever Aww. in after training, which was um, Can't Stand Up for falling down at the white bear theater which is the longest title of a play ever i know i tend yeah um it, i mean that was a brilliant meeting that we met you for that audition i tend to do plays that have like punctuation in their titles one of the first plays i directed was called can't pay won't pay and then wait i think there was yeah that has a question mark in it can't pay question mark won't pay exclamation mark and then can't stand up for falling down there was a play called Night of January 16th, which sounds like the date that the play is on. So I think I just <laughs> so need people to are going to show up on the wrong night. Filter my choice of plays now. Well, is, there, is there something that intrigues you about the, the long titles of plays or the punctuation? No, that, that I'm, I'm afraid that's all just fluke. There's oh. <laughs> no story there. Are you going to do Oliver exclamation mark at some point? I, you know, I really want to do a musical soon. So maybe that should be it. Maybe, yeah. Well, there you go. So Jane and I got introduced to each other through the wonders of the internet and casting sites. I think mm -hmm. you were looking for an actor for a third member of the three members of the cast. And that was back in 2013. So when when was that in your theatre directing career? Is that, was that kind of... That was the highlight, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I mean... <laughs> But did that, I mean, because you, you trained at Mountview uh, as a director. Yeah. So maybe let's go back and go into it. How did you, did you always think you were going to go into directing or was acting ever on the cards or something completely unrelated at all? Okay, so I was quite early. I mean, just to answer your first question, I was quite early, I think, in my directing, inverted commas, career uh, when we did that play in 2013. 
And I was doing that with two actors who I'd met and become friends with through this course at Mount View. So I did a, a postgrad training course at Mount View Drama School. Basically, I studied theatre and English and knew that theatre was one of the art forms, I suppose, um, that I was interested in because it is collaborative. And directing in hindsight was like where I would inevitably end up but I didn't think at the beginning like when I set off to explore <laughs> theatre making that that was what I would do and I think the the thing that kind of opened my eyes to it was well in the first place just doing some doing some directing I, I went abroad for a year to Berkeley in California um while I was doing my degree and they had like a directing module I was like I definitely want to take that so I started directing there and and the experience was just one where I got to tap into all of the different elements that make theatre and so like the text and rhythm and music and working with actors and a spatial and visual tool you know like you're painting the picture you're like finding the pace of it the rhythm and really digging into the text and what the writer's intentions are and all of those things and just finding that new relationship with actors because I think the most visible thing when you're like growing up and thinking about theatre or looking at it is you see the acting and so like I had done youth theatre and, and did acting through that and as a university student I did acting but when I stepped into the other role of being the director, I felt like the blinkers were coming off and I could just understand the world of the play and communicate a story much better to an audience by not being on stage, actually, really. It felt like a much more direct relationship to the audience. So then when I was, like, coming to the end of my degree, I was like, OK, I want to, like, do it in a less academic way and much more practical. So that's why I decided to go training. And then, yeah, I met some brilliant people when I was at Mount View and... Then these two actresses, who were friends as well, came to me and said, do I want to direct this play? We needed to find a third actress. So coming back full circle to finding you, Laura, on, I think it was probably Casting Call Pro at the time. Which I think has now gone to Mandy, if, yeah. like, if you're UK based anyway. I think oh, it's right. now. It's, I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's called Mandy. And it's, yeah, it's a good way for actors to, to, to be visible for directors, casting directors, and also to you know, know what's going on as well. Yes, and it and it's um I think why we used that because it was it was very much a fringe production and so it was direct communication with actors and not going through agents where you're getting involved in like, well actually there's no money <laughs> it's profit share. So okay, just going back to, to training, when mm -hmm. you when you decided, okay, I'm gonna get a training as a theatre director, yeah. What was that like to to find a course number one was it a difficult process to to actually get into a course what's what's that kind of screening process like yeah so I started looking at drama schools because it was something that um we don't really have in Ireland and I was really interested the main thing that was drawing me into directing was working with actors so I was interested in getting an insight into what the actor training is and what that language is and how you can use that to just like communicate more clearly in the rehearsal process so I started re like research, like I really didn't know much about any drama schools. Um, I'd heard about the more famous ones and not everywhere, not all drama schools have um, directing courses. And in the first instance, it's like a written application, like so many things actually as a director and especially in the first few years, but, but all along the way, you are often the first point of contact that you have with people is a written application, which is slightly bizarre 
in one sense at least it's fair in another but what you do is so much not about how you write so you would never ask an actor to like write you an essay about how they perceive their character you bring them into the room and you like work with them anyway so so for the drama schools I guess because they receive so many applications it makes sense so it's written and then uh, I was invited to some interviews and then I went with Mount View I was drawn to Mount View towards the end because I hadn't heard much about it but one of the things that was really great about the course at the time was that you got to direct two productions with professional actors so often the drama courses I mean the directing courses in drama schools you're working with the actors who are in training at the time and there that's brilliant to work with them and understand what they're going through and but um the fact that we were able to work with professional actors meant that we had to go through a a casting process and the range of material that we could look at was so much broader because you could cast any age group any ethnicity any you know um, I mean we were limited by the size of the cast because they couldn't pay for like loads of actors for you but yeah and it was I remember a surprising thing about going through that was the first time I was holding these auditions and actors were coming in I assumed if they came to an audition they would want the part and the, in the first play, I offered my number one choice to this woman and she didn't take it. And I was like, oh, goodness, maybe they don't want the part. You know, it was like it's a two way conversation. And so that was a really important part of the, the training, I guess. I mean, of course, you could learn it on the job as well. I have to say, like, training is not essential to become a director. There's so many routes. Yeah, but it was really eye opening to go, oh, actually... It's you don't know what has brought an actor into the room uh, to audition. So just to it, it made me be much more open and I don't know. Yeah. Inquisitive during auditions. Did it did it kind of like that spanner in the works almost of thinking, oh, I had pictured in my head that actor. As yeah. that part. Did it did it then force you to look at different ways that part could be played then? And did you have a very kind of set yeah. way in your mind that you thought I want you know waiting for that person to walk in and do what kind of what you had in your head yeah well the the actress who um then uh, was offered the part and then and took it was completely different and so that was the first time I suppose where I was really thinking about oh what the actor uh how, how you work to build a character around the actor rather than having a shape of a character that you're trying to pull the actor towards. And actually, it was a so a, such a rewarding process because both of the actors who were in that show, they had dance backgrounds. And so we had a very physical rehearsal process just because they enjoyed doing warm-ups and I enjoyed sort of leading that kind of thing. And it really fed into the play and the world of the play and the character choices. So, yeah, and that's like, I think that is definitely more the approach that, I like to take with characters to find where the meeting place is between the actor and the character, I guess. It's fascinating to listen to this as a as an actor, because uh, I think we do have this idea that, you know, when you audition for something, you are trying to fit in, like, what what do you want? What do you want? Mm. Like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> it's like, yeah. actually, no, show us. I mean, you do kind of learn you learn from experience There's sometimes people that even tell you you know like we didn't really know what we wanted but then you came in and you gave us this new thing but for so long I think that you kind of do go as an actor mm. thinking that you have to read the director's mind 
And maybe sometimes you do mm. because not all directors are the same. Yeah, and also to to understand that it is that two way exchange, like you said. You mm. know, it's you don't. I myself, I'm in this moment now of putting on a show, and I'm realizing the other side of it so much. Yeah. Of uh, do they want it? <laughs> Who are we going to get if they don't want it? You, you, it's completely. It starts. You do realize it is not just that one way mm. thing as an actor where you're waiting for somebody else to to give you something. It it is. It's an exchange, isn't it? Definitely. You said briefly that you know there are loads of different ways of becoming mm. a director and you chose to to train in that way what what are you experiencing with other colleagues of yours that like how what are the normal ways to come into it mm. that you've found I mean a typical thing and and I think that's changing now or I hope that's changing now that the sort of generation of directors before me is very much an Oxbridge graduate who excelled in creating and directing productions in the drama societies as it were and then has that kind of amateur or student experience off the back of which they start out into the industry and there still is a lot of that of someone just you know often they've been to university and then have discovered theatre or discovered directing during that time and made some really good friendships and collaborative relationships um, so that can be a good place. But of course, not everyone is going that route. And I don't think it's necessary at all. Really, you learn most by doing it yourself, but also assistant directing. So this is a huge part of becoming a director is to, yeah, be in a rehearsal room with other directors and see how they do it when they're much more experienced than you are. Hear the different ways that they interact with the actors. And also, because I've done quite a lot of assistant directing, I found I learned so much from working with experienced actors. And just seeing them like pace themselves across a rehearsal period, across a tech, you know, across a, a three or four month run, like how that keeps fresh, because that's something that you're in the early days of of your career. You're probably working on much shorter runs, even like a week or a few weeks somewhere. So you're not really concerned with how to create something that can stay alive and stay fresh for months and months. Um, and just just for listeners, I guess, that don't know much about the, the theatre world, a rehearsal process can be, what, something anywhere up to about six weeks, four weeks? Yeah. What's a normal rehearsal um, process? I've never, where I've been the lead, like the director, I've never had more than five weeks. Um, three is more typical. Yeah, I was going to say. And then, but then I've also worked on productions which have up to ten weeks. Oh, wow. Uh, so at the Royal Shakespeare Company, but that's often because um, two shows are being rehearsed uh, at the same time and sharing most of the cast so it's 10 weeks but it's a slightly diluted process mm. what is like resident director assistant director, oh, yeah. artistic director you know those mm. the role has slight variation between assistant associate resident staff director sometimes it's literally just the name that changes sometimes it's the level of responsibility sometimes it's the relationship with the lead director so often the first time you work with a director you might be the assistant and then the next time you'll be the associate because they understand how you fit into their process and then they can give you a bit more leeway a bit more trust resident director just means that you're staying on the show like you're the the resident carrying through because all the way to the end the, of the run the inheritance right? that's right so, yeah. so you literally just looked after that play yeah and, and, and like through. typically you might see the play once or twice a week but with the inheritance that was um matthew lopez's epic two-part play which is about to open on broadway <laughs> just you know for anyone in new york you can go and see it it's an amazing play anyway so on the inheritance 
in the West End, I was there all the time. Not every single show, but because it was such a long play and because the way it was designed and directed, it was just up to the actors and they had to generate everything, every moment. So they were hungry for notes all the time and um, because there was a lot of uh, humour and comedy moments in the show, they were very sensitive to how that was landing every night. So just trying to keep everything as inventive and funny and clear um, and rich as possible took a lot of continued process throughout and also because there was so much material some and a new material right through to the like last right the last preview there was still a new scene being added in so some of the actors hadn't had that much time with certain sections of the text so it was also allowing it to bed in and find a little bit more detail or more depth or psychology behind it you know so yeah that was just a really rigorous run where there was still a lot of creativity and a lot of involvement as the resident director after um, Stephen Daldry and Justin Martin, who were the directors, uh, went away to work on the next thing. Um, and a, a tech is a technical rehearsal, which for oh, us sorry. actors... No, 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 it's good because it's bringing memories back of technical rehearsals, which oh, are, yeah. they are... They are literally that, the te- most yes. technical non-actor thing, but you that you're all there having to get through plotting lights and, you know, plotting where set's going. And yeah, mm. it can take hours days I guess yes so so the rehearsals don't happen in the theater the rehearsals happen in a a room a studio something like a sports like they could be anywhere often they're hired by a company and then yes the technical rehearsals are when you move into the theater and it's the first time that lighting sound costume set maybe projection maybe yeah music a lot of things that are really only being implemented I mean they're prepared for and you can have suggestions of those in rehearsals but really it's the first time that all of those elements are going coming together so you just start at the beginning of the play and you work really slowly so it might take you a couple of hours to do the first five minutes of the play and then you sort of speed up and you get into a rhythm with your creative team which would be set costume designer uh lighting designer sound designer and then you've got your whole stage management team. Yeah, so it's I love tech. <laughs> Maybe it sounds a bit perverse to people who know <laughs> like what a tech is like. You're basically in the theater for like 12 to 14 hours a day, no access to daylight, just like really slowly and detailed way going through what the play will be and how how the lights will change and how the sound will change. And, and it's sort of this like dream moment for me because it is that timeless world where you're you're doing the mechanics that make the magic that make the illusion for everyone yeah well, that's a nice way to put it yeah, like yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've never thought of it like that yeah. so when when you had finished your training and you were like right I'm going out into the world to be mm-hmm. a director what was your first stepping stone what was that first moment like well there were two things one was um I directed my first show like on the fringe and was really putting into practice the training and that was quite a large cast and it was a courtroom drama um, where the audience became the jury and it was like really fun and it was an American play. And yeah, it was just like really about like, okay, now I'm doing the thing. And then also in that year, when as after I graduated, I was an assistant director on a play at the Globe Theatre, which was The Taming of the Shrew by Shakespeare, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, although they do other work there as well, not just Shakespeare. Yeah, that was like, I guess a big no that was like a stepping stone or like a little break or it was like my first like proper professional job um and I worked with a really lovely director called Toby Fro 
and fantastic cast. And again, like really, it's so much about because each director will have their own process, their own personality very much leads the rehearsal room. But the way actors work, which is, again, very varied, but as, as an assistant director, you get to observe these interactions between the director and the actors and between the director and the stage management and the production meetings. It's just fascinating because you're thinking, oh, I could steal that little idea or, um, oh, I don't want to talk like that. Or, you know, there's like ways that you're measuring yourself against other directors and also finding a way to have a creative input in somebody else's process. So it stretches your taste, I guess, because you're, you're working in someone else's um, vision. So how much input do you normally have as an assistant director? Does it does it vary mm. quite a lot? And, you know, how how big is your role as an assistant director? It varies quite a lot. And that very much depends on the director and also what the demands of the show are and how much as an assistant director you take initiative. And I think in the early days I was like, oh, my God, it's, you know, big rehearsal room and I don't think anyone wants to hear my opinion. And then all of a sudden you get asked your opinion and you're like, oh, my God, I just wasn't thinking in that moment. I was thinking about my dinner. I'm so, so sorry. It's always the moment you get, like, caught out. Yeah, but but then I've also been in rooms where, like, my voice is just totally equally valid with any of the actors, any of the creative team. Often the assistant director is an extra support for the actors so you might be working not in the main rehearsal room but in a second room where you're helping someone run lines or you're just helping them unpick a bit of a tricky scene or you're running something with them that has already been rehearsed but it just needs a bit of yeah repetition or whatever and so you kind of get to build a bit of a relationship with the actors that way but the main thing where your role on the production as an assistant director really kicks in is actually after the show has opened and the director leaves and then you are the one sort of with the directorial eyes on it trying to help uh, keep the director's intentions in place which doesn't mean that it has to be the exact same show every night because they can continue to discover and find things but you're aware of sort of the rules of the game that the director has set up so you kind of help the actors to continue to play and find it spontaneously within that but it's not like you just sit there doing nothing until that moment like you're you're building a relationship with the actors you and the creative team and stage management you're supporting the director in so many ways. It's hard to sort of pin it down because it, it really varies so much from director to director. And even I find, because now I'm working, I'm having assistant directors uh, come and work with me. And very, it depends on what the project needs, what the play demands. Like working on a Shakespeare, often you just need to have a bit more attention and time on the words because it's actually really dense and the actors might want to slow down and unpick that with somebody else or if you have something with a lot of big like musical numbers then you might just need someone to just drill those and look for details you might have something where you're focused on the main action of a scene but there's a lot of background activity and so often the assistant director will be like looking to detail and fill in the background activity or work with ensemble actors who might not have so much to say but then they're trying to build a character out of very little and then the other big thing that you would do as an assistant director is the understudies so at, in the larger theatre companies, like the Royal Shakespeare Company, the National Theatre, and of course in the West End, the productions have understudies, either as part of the main cast or in addition to the main cast. And that's the responsibility of the assistant director to make sure they're ready on like very little rehearsal at a moment's notice to just walk on I yeah. have to say as an actor I've not yet understudied I mean I actually did in one one production they just said to me oh by the way if so and so is ill you'll play that part like literally <laughs> I think it was just a kind of safety net and I was like 
please no one be ill <laughs> um but yeah i that, that i always am so uh, in um, awe maybe mm-hmm. of the people that are just under no rehearsal or very little rehearsal mm-hmm. I'm sure they do have a rehearsal but maybe not for ages until that you know and then yeah. how how close to that person being off did that person have a rehearsal is crazy and even if you have rehearsed the understudies rehearse together so then if an actor from the main cast is off then the understudy is going on with people they have not rehearsed with and it's not the same thing it's really not because like that dynamic between actors is so unique and doing it in front of an audience and in the technical conditions and all of that so it's it's an incredibly deer in the headlights like everybody is rallying for them it's they're always brilliant moments those those nights when an understudy goes on because suddenly everyone's like listening really sharply the, the you know wardrobe and costume team are like they really <laughs> really support all of that because it's really complicated for them to arrange like different quick changes and things like that that they haven't had a chance to rehearse either um i mean when we were doing our play at the white bear i remember every night i got we had notes for you i mean it was a three-week run I'm no sure. you didn't <laughs> you would you had for the first few but then i was away really i remember getting yeah. so i remember us sitting like in the pub but i, I remember say- loving that i remember thinking that's what i wanted i wanted to come out and work and then not be left you know to actually keep it fresh every night maybe yeah I think that was a three or four week run and the first few I would have definitely been in because we treat them like previews so the preview the director can still come in and keep changing things and then once you've like opened or had press night it's kind of locked in as it were locked is a very kind of fixed word but it's agreed (laughs) maybe but then I would say I was only there every few shows or whenever I had a friend in. Like, I really don't think I was in every night. No, maybe not every night. But I think when you were in, I don't think you were like, well done, guys. I think, like, right, come sit down. <laughs> let's, let's have a look. Which is, I'm, I, that is what you, as an actor, what you want. Especially, yeah. I love ha- making sure eyes outside are just yeah. keeping that fresh. Because it's so easy to just lose yourself in, I'm doing it again, or I'm on autopilot, or, you know, even mm. even on a short run. With every play, it doesn't really come together until the audience are there. Like, you need the audience, you need their response and their energy. They're like the final character that joins. And that play that I did with you was a monologue play, so you were really speaking to the audience a lot of the time. So doing it in front of an audience, you learn things about the character and about the way the play works, so it can evolve over the course of a run. So... While I don't remember being there, giving you notes, <laughs> summoning you in to the pub. How I think bad. it was over a drink, Jane. I think it was okay, fine. <laughs> I think like, get the round in and then... We'll... But I'm glad to hear that the notes were welcome. <laughs> they are always, always. Um, As a director, when you get a play script mm-hmm. or a musical script, whatever that, that project is you're working on, what is what, what is, is your kind of favourite way to get, a, get into it? Do you have a, a routine with it? I don't have a routine, but there are some things that, I will always do at some point in the process. So um, I read it a a lot, I mean, many times. And also I read it slowly. I often speak it out loud to myself. And also at some point, I love to have other people read it with me. So a couple of actors and be like, oh, would you mind reading this play with me? Because I'm thinking of, you know, pitching for this or... So yeah, just like trying to hear it. And then also I love to try and listen to music that I think connects to the world of the play. So I just find that helps to broaden my understanding of like, is this bit of music in the world of the play? Not really. Oh, it feels like it might be more kind of like rhythmic or it feels me it might be more um, vocal or uh, synthetic. Uh, no, what do I mean? Synthesized. I'll do a lot of research, actually, just to understand um, what what's happening 
for the writer at the time that they're writing it, either biographically or historically. If the play, I've done quite a few plays that are history plays. So then I have done historical research just to understand like the references and if the people really existed, you know, what was their actual life, what is being used for dramatic purposes here, you know, what is happening in the world of the play. I mean, like in the scenes, but also what's happening around those characters. I'll often start to like break up the script and like give titles to the scenes. It sort of depends at what point I'm at with a script. So sometimes I'm just exploring it. So those are all things I might do while I'm exploring it. But then if I'm actually preparing to go into rehearsals, I'll start breaking it down in a bit more detail and understanding like where the shifts are. There's a lot of language that directors use that around the idea of events, units, beats which are all different ways of like analyzing, yeah, just like what's happening in each moment of the play. It's kind of like finding the the, the architecture of the story and how you are going to try and make that work and make the, make the rhythm of the play land with the audience. A lot of it sounds very abstract the way I'm talking about it, but actually it's a very practical, concrete kind of set of tasks that you can set yourself with a script. The odd thing is that as a director, you often do a lot of that prep on your own but it's all about a collaborative process ultimately so there are times when you can feel very lonely because I think most people who are drawn to directing are drawn to working with people and a lot of the work of a director is on your own so you're just trying to find that balance so that's why I'd say about like getting people together to read it or in fact talking with other creatives and designers especially about the play or about the ideas around the play talking to other directors like I have a lovely kind of group of peers who are friends and will like talk to each other about work a lot of creative jobs you know we we want to work with other people we want to meet people and then the actual work is quite lonely mm. it's, uh, it's something that's kind of come up again and again and it's it's so true isn't it because mm. there's certain things that you just kind of have to do on your own before you can go and do that thing that you want to do with other yeah. people. Uh, so you you did the first few shows, you know, you were both directing and doing uh, assistant mm-hmm. directing as well. How do you get the next job? Is it like, is it people you've worked with who want you again? Is it a lot of applications? Is it a bit of both? I've written so many applications. <laughs> so many. Which is like, you know, there's an opportunity that you can apply for. Not like a job application, but like there are these like annual directing award for young directors or I mean it sounds like there's loads there's not loads but it's huge competition so like over 100 people will be entering and then but mainly if I actually look backwards at like how I got stuff is mainly through yeah building relationships with people Um, and that's really how I see it like people talk about networking I think that's not really the way to to work I mean it's the same thing it's about building relationship it's about going hello this is who I am (laughs) I really like your work and then like there was a director who I assisted who I'd just been in touch with for about three years, sort of on and off, mostly about her work. And I went to see a lot of what she did and I'd invite her to mine. And then she offered me to assist her. And then I had like, yeah, I think people recommend each other because you want to work with people who you trust. And even if it's somebody new who you've never worked with before, even if I was auditioning an actor and I saw they'd worked with someone I know, I would contact that person and be like, what was X like to work with? It's such a personal industry and that can feel a bit frustrating at times and a bit unfair. But also I think it is a a value in the industry because we really, it is about who you connect with. But yeah, I I feel like I just put a lot of stuff out there (laughs) and some, some things sometimes come back. 
one of our messy musings that we do on a, on a Friday was about networking. And we pretty much, I think, were speaking about networking is is not what we originally thought networking was. Mm. Yeah, that networking thing. It's not going to like a cocktail hour <laughs> and like going and handing business cards out. Like it's not that. But you, but oh, if yeah. you have something to say to that person that is a value for you and them, it's yeah. a good exchange and then it then it becomes networking in a in a quite organic way, I think. Yeah, and also the thing that networking is not is sitting behind your computer and just firing out loads of emails. You feel like you're being really productive when you do that and there's a sort of security to doing that. And I see lots of people do it and I also do it. But there's nothing like being there. Go see a show if you like it. Go to the bar. You'll see the actors come out. Say hello. Tell them what you liked about the show. Like, that's a real conversation that you're having. And they might be like, oh, and what are you doing? And then, you know, I don't know. It's just real. It's just real. It's not um, a formula. Do you do you find when that you, you prefer being in a project or the excitement of the next project or uh, kind of my favorite thing is just to be in rehearsals and also tech and previews although previews are such a vulnerable like the first shows is such a vulnerable time for director because it looks like you're declaring that is what I intended it to be and often it's not yet that and there's still some work to be done that it's a small difference, but it actually allows the show to be properly delivered or like have depth. I, I think my favorite thing is make is making it from the first day of rehearsals until the first or the third <laughs> show or the fifth show, maybe. And then the in-between stuff about getting the jobs. I mean, I also like I like working with the design with a designer. That's really creative and that's joint and you're sort of a real team. Or working with a writer, of course, because that's also like the development of a script is also really exciting. But there's a lot of work that goes around making the work. There's a lot of administration. There's a lot of like reaching out to people, letting them know you're available, pitching things, reading plays, filling in applications, going to the theater. Like there's so much other stuff that happens around the creative process. The creative process is like the reward for doing all the other work just purely when you're in a show mm. I always have so much uh, respect for a director because it feels like I don't know how it feels for you in reality but it just feels like there are moments where everyone is turning to you the director <laughs> both um, the cast and the, uh, all the creatives around it the mm. crew is it overwhelming is it is it tough sometimes do you do you have you found the way to mm. communicate with everybody because to me I'm like oh directing looks fun but that bit like, yeah. there's a lot of responsibility well you just don't get any tea breaks no. or lunch breaks so basically like at the tea break you release the cast and then you turn and start having a meeting with the deputy stage manager or you see someone's been lurking outside the rehearsal room door waiting for your tea break so they can come in and start asking you questions um like a production manager or a stage manager or uh you arrange your design meetings over lunchtime or you, you know so there's kind of relentless time but you I think what draws you to to directing is because you want to hold the world of the play. And so of course so it's actually really stimulating and really exciting to have questions come through you because you can connect this idea that an actor's just had in rehearsals with what you might do with the lighting designer to kind of help ping that out. So really it's very rewarding that that the demands of the job are also what is exciting about the job. Have you found that you have um, worked out 
what your kind of your not your niche maybe but what you fi- find yourself drawn to if it's comedy or the historical plays or do you love that variety of being able to to turn your hand to anything I think it gets broader actually as I do more because I also I understand more about different forms so like I thought I was interested in comedy when I started which is quite unusual I think for a young director I mean like farce not like stand-up comedy um and I think what I was drawn to about that was that you can hear the audience response so you can hear if you're getting it right you can hear if they understand because they're laughing or they're not and that has kind of developed because I also think there are other kinds of reactions that are not just about an audience laughing that are that there's a complicity or um between the stage and the audience that you can strive for without needing to land a, a joke I've done quite a lot of work across I suppose three different categories of plays and that's how I I mean it's sort of typically how people categorize them it's like the classics in which Shakespeare would be one but also sort of European classics like Chekhov or or older like Greek or Shakespeare's contemporaries things like that or Renaissance then there's like 20th century classics or modern classics which would be even more recent than that and then like contemporary revivals things that have been done in the last 20-30 years and then you've got new writing And I think there's always an attraction to doing new writing because you're working with a writer, you're working with a living writer, that writer is responding to something that they're feeling in the world right now. So it feels so immediate and really liberating in a way because you can change it, you can change the story. And often, I mean, the most rewarding is where you're involved in some stage of the writing process. It's a bit difficult to work on a new play where you haven't or don't have the opportunity to be part of that development because... I don't know, there's just some sort of fusion between the, the script writing and the first production, that that process is a bit more blended when it's a new play. Whereas when it's an old play, it's like a conversation between the script and the production. So you're saying something maybe about the play as well as as well as well doing the play. So you, because you had a, is it six months at the, as a resident at the National Theatre Studio? Yeah. So is that, that was bringing in a lot of new writing or looking at the possibility of those new writing? Exactly. So the studio at the National Theatre do a few things, uh, one of which is to have writers on attachment. So they're just in the building for anything from two weeks to like a year working on some play or other and so sometimes they'll want to hear their latest draft so we would get actors in and do like a day with it or a rehearsed reading the other thing that they do there is like workshops on plays and that could be at any stage of development so it could be a workshop on the first draft of a script it could be that the script is like ready to go or it's like an old play being adapted fresh or something and they're about to go into rehearsals but they need to just workshop this one idea they need to workshop how the flying will work or they need to workshop the music with the with the actors or something so some so it could be at any stage of development and so my role there involved working with the writers and directors and mainly casting those workshops actually so that they had the right kind of I don't know creative people in the room to help the ideas move forward and actors who are in national theater shows at that time are like the first port of call for doing the workshops because it's part of their experience of being at the national 
that sounds incredibly rewarding to be able to do all of those different things. Yeah. And and to move between so many different projects in like a short span of time. That must be like a dream. Yes. I mean, in a way, it's quite um, it was really exciting because you'd be there's like three workshops every week and you're meeting so many creatives and especially loads of actors. But it's also a bit unfulfilling because you don't get to see those projects through. You're just having a touch sure. point at some point in the development. So I would love when over the time I think I was there about eight months so there were some opportunities where I would see or help facilitate a workshop uh, or a cast workshop or whatever and then it would end up in production before I was finished my stint there and that was the most like exciting because you'd be like oh my god I remember this when it was like really like raw first draft wasn't weren't sure how it was going to work and then you see it working brilliantly and it's just that you you realize that you need time <laughs> and space and people to develop the ideas you can't just have a writer come up with a play and then put it on it takes yeah a time and a team as an actor you bring yourself to a role even though you know you're playing some somebody else you're looking at a text it's quite a vulnerable thing sometimes to kind of bring yourself to it and leave Mm -hmm. it there and and go as a director do you ever feel that do you ever feel vulnerable or kind of the responsibility I think that you t- you touched on before of kind of leaving a bit of yourself with that play it or- does when the audience come in because you realize how much of your own taste which I suppose is a lot of personality that you put into the production like you can't direct anything except according to your own taste really so suddenly you're like oh shit what if people don't like this <laughs> but like while you're in the room you kind of develop this rapport with all of the cast and everyone and and you understand why you're making these choices but then you have that sense of being exposed when the audience come in but that's exciting because that's the whole point is to share it with them i'm all right in saying that you've taken a a play to the edinburgh fringe yes i did yeah last year tell us a bit about that and how how it was (laughs) yes i directed a new play last year for the fringe and we had a couple of london previews which was great but again, it's that moment of feeling a bit exposed in the previews. And it was brilliant. I mean, I loved the cast and that, yes, yeah, so the writer was, um, I'd love for her to have been more involved. She wasn't actually available to come to any rehearsals um, because she's a TV director. So she was working across that time. But we had, yeah, it was really a um, fun and exciting rehearsal process. And then we got to the fringe and the venue wasn't ready. And Edinburgh lost power for a few hours during our little slot that we had to technically rehearse the show so in the first place we lost two hours because the venue wasn't ready and then as soon as we start we'd only barely just started and then the whole there was a power outage so I mean it was kind of crazy and yeah it just felt like some really like brilliant professional actors and team like creative team that we were working with had had met with a quite I don't know, a- amateur setup. I mean, maybe it's not fair to say amateur, but un- unprepared and un- unexperienced staff that were there. Yeah, so it was really challenging for a few days. But then again, once the audience come in and you're just telling the story, it sort of is worth it. But not the sort of delightful beer garden, Edinburgh, go see loads of shows a few days I was hoping for. <laughs> but that that's, I guess an- that is where the collaborative thing kind of comes in that you're it's the 
unexpectedness of everything, I guess, that mm. you've you've prepared. You've prepared as much as you can prepare, but you're now in the hands of of a technical team or, you know, a mm. venue and thing and that's when you're moving in. I mean, perhaps that's slightly different on a bigger scale, maybe when you're if you're working at something at the Globe or the West End where, you know, you're kind of you know that space. Right. And you're expecting a level of professionalism that will almost certainly be delivered. Yeah. You know. But it just this yeah. was a, a shock. <laughs> yeah, but I guess what a learning experience. I mean, I mean, you must have learned from it in some way. Never um, do it again. Or... I think somebody learned from it. <laughs> you taught somebody else a lesson. Yeah, after yeah. That. <laughs> well, no, I mean, the, bless the the young producer who was who had been assigned to it from the from the production company, you know, was great and really supportive, but it was overstretched. They didn't anticipate what it meant to produce for or as it turned out three new shows but does something like that become the burden of the director do do you do you feel that in In something whatever it is isn't quite going to plan is that like the weight on the director's shoulders or the thing I always say about directing is like you have all of the responsibility and none of the control so if you're going into it because you want to control everything then that's I mean that's not going to be that way madness lies um I think I'm responsible for the audience experience. So anything that happens on the production is going to affect how I feel about the work. It might not be your responsibility to fix it. Like if there's some technical issue that is broken and it needs to be repaired, but it might impact the time that you have in the space. Any issue can affect the audience experience. And that's what I think I'm looking after because it's about how how they receive the story. It's so eye-opening because we've had this before when we spoke to, uh, we had a a set designer on Mm. the podcast about how if you want to be, especially I think as an actor, naive and kind of ignorant to the rest of everything that happens, you can be as an Mm. actor, I think. Yeah, it makes me think, uh, you know, for, for our job, I guess, to you see those people in the production who you just go, oh, wow, you, yeah, I understand why you look a bit stressed because you, <laughs> you have no breaks and you have to talk to everybody, you know, like the set designer and mm. especially the director, obviously. Or the like god gods and goddesses of that are stage management. Yes, who, yeah, um, absolutely. You know, have the patience of saints. I mean, most <laughs> you get some snappy ones. No, but I mean, for the most part, they work longer and harder than everyone and a lot of their work is invisible. Was there ever uh, another career path for you? Were you always, once you got oh, into so it? so many. Really? <laughs> no, once I got into directing, that is like so clear. And I mean, yeah, the thing that made me know that I wanted to be a director was the fact that I was losing sleep over it, which is probably like not the best choice, not the best way to choose your career path. All, yeah. those, all those things mean the most, don't they? When yeah, you lose sleep I like them. that you say that. I like that you say that because, I mean, I don't want you to lose sleep, you know, because yeah. it sounds stressful in the long run. It's all right. Oh. I'm a really good sleeper. Good. <laughs> it's just that the only thing that will keep me awake is, is directing. Because what other, oh, what were there? Other? Interior design, graphic That's design. Interesting. Well, yeah, because basically what, at the, earlier when I spoke about it being a collaborative art, craft, whatever way you think about it, um, job, so I always knew I was going to do something creative and I was quite drawn to like the visual arts um, and design especially so when I was leaving school I was kind of choosing between going to art school or going and doing theatre I I, you know I was kind of deliberating this for about for most of my final year of school and something a friend said to me was like oh well if you go to art school you'll be making things on your own and if you do theatre you'll be making things with people and I was like oh well then it's really obvious (laughs) like I definitely want to be making things with people 
And a lot of people said, oh, why don't you do set design? But I never wanted to do set design. If I'm working on a play, I want to like, yeah, there's, there's other elements that I'm also interested in. So I couldn't just focus on one, I think. And it seems it seems from what you're saying that you're working with the actors is a huge part of it for you to huge, talk, talk yeah, to the yeah. actors. Well, I, as an audience member, that's the thing I'm most drawn to is like the the is the acting. I mean, there are so many things that can be so impressive and really moving and you know brilliant 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 art and expertise going into it. But the thing that's going to make me remember or be moved or change my thoughts or change my life is what the actor is doing. Most of the time I'm going to theatre, I'm bored and it's shit. But there is, are some times where it moves you and so it's worth going. <laughs> I can, I can I never work out if it's when you, you don't notice the direction, if that's perfection of direction, you know, like when it's yeah. just if that if that hits you or if, if you're noticing things wrong. Because uh, actors take a lot of the slack. People don't, people don't, don't come yeah. out and go, oh, what poor direction or what poor set design. Yeah. They go, those actors, it was, wasn't believable. You know, it's mm. the actors that, that take it a lot of the time. I mean, there's different styles. So some directors really showcase their choices. Uh, it depends what you want to do with the production. Like I've had really different styles in my own choices where some are really kind of just delivering the play and very kind of straightforward, straightforward production as in like what the writer kind of imagined. And then others are much more inventive or you're trying to, um, you've got a particular angle on the story. What are your biggest challenges when working with actors? What can be really difficult to to kind of get get the way you want mm. it? I mean, I know, as we said earlier, you don't have an idea and then they have to fit into that, but you probably still have some idea of how you want yeah. to feel, you know, watching it. Um, okay, I'm going to be very honest. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, sometimes the actor's process is quite frustrating for a director because you kind of want to know what they're going to do, <laughs> but they can't do what they're going to do because they're working through a process. So that could be like they just haven't tapped into the emotional depth of a particular moment. It could be that you can't barely hear them because they're just muttering, you know, but they're actually really getting in. They're really mapping out the psychology of their character. So they're not really focusing on their vocal delivery or they're doing something physical that's quite challenging for them. So they, they're not finding the nuance of that moment. And of course, they can't do everything altogether instantly or so so sometimes it's a bit frustrating because you're like oh I don't I don't know if you haven't worked with them before you don't know where they're going with their you know so you're trying to keep that communication open you're like is is this gonna this be better at some point because <laughs> it's not very good now <laughs> yeah. but a lot of it is just like taking the fear out of the room because the actor has to go up on stage and do what you've set up for them to do and so they could look stupid and it'll be, you know, they're the ones going to be up there. So, yeah, so so a lot of the, the um, joy and the challenge of working with actors is is trying to um, remove their particular fears from the room. Is there a big leap from audition to, to getting in the rehearsal room? I know as, as an actor, personally, sometimes I do my best work in the audition <laughs> and then I go into the <laughs> rehearsal and I'm like... I'm I'm not bad. I'm not bad. <laughs> just yeah. the fear in that audition room of kind of that little extra I don't know if it's a spark or something that happens and then you go into the rehearsal room like right now I need to discover. <laughs> yeah. So it goes backwards before it comes forward again, maybe. Yeah, that, that happens. And I hear other directors talking about like how um 
you spend all in the rehearsal just trying to get back to the first read through. Has there been moments in the career so far that you've thought, what am I doing? This is too much of a challenge or has there been any any moments of struggle? I mean, many moments of doubt, uh, many moments of frustration or disappointment or disillusionment where you're like, I thought I would be somewhere else now or why am not I doing the work that that person's doing or why didn't they say yes? Mm. Um, and a lot of uh, waiting, a lot of lows, but then the highs, you're like, oh, but this is so worth it. And I suppose it's like, I'm so in the habit of moving on to the next thing that I very rarely look back and give myself credit for the work that I've done. And actually um, there's a lot of brilliant work that I'm really proud of and a lot of amazing companies and actors and directors and different people that I've worked with that if I wrote that all down, I'd be like, wow, that's great. But then I feel like I'm under the radar. I feel like I'm emerging. There's this emerging um, term. <laughs> Everyone's an emerging director because they're not famous. They're always emerging or aspiring. I don't know. Yeah, you. we've spoken yeah. about this before. We're up and coming artist and aspiring yeah. actor. Like, yeah, just because I'm not famous. But that, like that's all what of I my mean. work is because I'm a director. So I think like that's a measure of success for sure. Like I haven't been doing other work for quite a few years now. So that's incredible. And I want to give you the opportunity now if you want to take a moment and look at what is one of the proudest moments for you? What what was like a career defining moment that you're like, that was great? Um, I think it would be very easy to like go through my CV and go, oh, well, that was the biggest show or that was the most successful thing. But actually the the highlights are always like having a breakthrough moment in rehearsals or it's it's really like zooming right into the creative process and going like, oh my God, we just we just cracked that scene or I got this actor on board or we landed that big laugh or whatever. It's, as you said that, it just it took me back to to being at drama school and we were working on a play and I was struggling and actually I was thinking before of what you said of when the director doesn't get a tea break because I was the, so the culprit of as there was a break I was like I'm so sorry I'm not getting this <laughs> bless <laughs> <Yeah>. that director <laughs> um but but for me oh I yes think... often the breakthroughs happen on tea breaks yeah or in the pub afterwards yeah yeah, yeah because... told you see we had it was definite breakthroughs in the pub I mean in the, the pub bit. after rehearsals <laughs> don't mean after every show but yeah because it's just a change of environment and there isn't the pressure of a group of people in the rehearsal room watching the actor trying to, you know, failing and failing again to, to make this moment work. So what? And what am I saying? Tea breaks are a highlight of my career? No, you know, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I get one, yeah. <laughs> so you're working on Queen Margaret at the moment. Yes. And that's at Mountview Academy. Yes. Queen Margaret is a really interesting play. This is only, the, it's, it was only on for the first time last year, but it's an adaptation of Shakespeare. I suppose is so um, Queen Margaret is a character who appears in a number of Shakespeare's plays, namely the Henry the Sixth, because he wrote three (laughs) Henry the Sixth, part one, two and three. Um, And she also appears in Richard the Third. And Jeannie O'Hare, who is a brilliant dramaturg um, and writer, um, extracted the brilliant story of Margaret out of those plays, taking the juiciest scenes that Margaret's in and wrote a play around those scenes it's a really cool hybrid of Shakespeare and new writing this entire episode is obviously going to be very very interesting for anyone who's an actual aspiring director uh, listening to it but if someone asked you what is your best piece of advice if I want to become a director what would you say to them um the best piece of advice I got was to ask people for a coffee 
at, just talk to people. So be like, uh, hello, I saw your show. I really loved it. Um, I'm trying to be a director or I'm a director and I'm, I'm interested in that kind of work. Please, can I take you for a coffee and talk about your work or all things theatre? Or... And it's it's hard to remember that it's that simple. And like, maybe they won't reply. Maybe they'll be too busy. But men, then the next time when you've got a show on or something and you invite them, they'll be like, oh yeah, shit, I never got back to that person. Maybe I'll check out their work. And I find that if, if I ask to talk to people, even if they can't, do anything for me mm. in, in air quotes and you always get that tiny little nugget of something good from sure. them and they might recommend someone else that you could yes. contact or a book that you could read or a show that you should see like there's always something that that can come out of a conversation if, if people want to be able to keep up with what you're directing or find you are they able to are you a social media uh, do you have a website um i just use social media for social purposes i don't use it for my career yeah. i don't have a website but i think now it's so hard to be off the internet. I think if you just go- Google me, you'll find some If you want to stalk, you can. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Jane Moriarty, director. Everyone we've, we've spoken to has been so inspiring in, in every different way. But, but I'm the most. You are. Honestly, when I came, <laughs> out, the best for last. When I came out of drama school and, and we were fortunate, we worked with uh, some great directors at drama school. I actually have to say the in- most... Uh, kind of detailed work was at drama school and I came out and I knew I was so fortunate to work with you because you were so detailed and we we I remember being on the floor mapping out a timeline of of Mm. how everything happened but then improvising and and coming at it from a completely different angle so by the time that we were we were on stage we were still playing and and it was a pleasure to work with you I'm just gonna say thank you and actually a lot of things that I sort of developed for you as actors in that process because of it being a monologue play I've since like used as tools like I kind of invented some some tools about creating images and things with the text that I've continued to use since so you're always I mean I'm also learning from you guys and evolving yeah and just look at us now like we've got you into talk you know to talk to about what you do Mm. six years later (laughs) I know it's terrifying how much I learn about things I should already know about (laughs) I'm like I should know that a director has to do all those things and have no tea break and everything but when you (laughs) start thinking about it you don't necessarily have to like you're looking after your like the actor is looking after the emotional world of their character and that is a huge that is hugely demanding on you physically and psychologically and and emotionally because emotional emotion is physical and so there's a lot going on for you you do need to look after that so you can't be thinking all the time about all the other people and all the other production you have to kind of channel your energies into your character so don't feel guilty about that thank you so so much You're for welcome. coming in to talk to us again it's been a pleasure As we round up series one, we are back next Monday for a final episode with a special guest, Liv Austin. And another special guest, Laura Allen. We interview each other about what life has been like since starting our podcast and how we both got to this point. And remember to subscribe to My Amazing Mess so you always get the latest episode. and shake your bum <laughs> Hi 
everyone, it's Laura here. While you're waiting for the next My Amazing Mess episode to come out, why don't you check in with another podcast that we love? Our Stories podcast. If you're interested in country music, this is really one for you. Our Stories, hosted by journalist Adrena Austin, is an inclusive celebration of the diverse people, sounds and stories of country music. She has some fantastic chats available already with Jimmy Allen, Trixie Mattel and Stella Parton, to name just a few. 